This is Tempest Tossed, Conversations on Migration and Mobility, and I'm Alex Alenikov. I think it's part of not only an anti-immigrant sentiment, but an anti-woman sentiment. I think it's no accident that these cases are by and large going to harm women who are coming to this country seeking protection. We normally think about political asylum as something granted uh, to opponents of the government or to religious or racial minorities who are persecuted at home. But as asylum laws developed over the past several decades, its protections have extended to other groups in desperate need of safety and of rescue. So persons persecuted because they are gay or lesbian may be granted asylum. Women who have been forced to undergo involuntary abortions or sterilization are protected. Family members of opponents of the government can be granted asylum because they too might be at risk. Women who flee domestic violence can be seen as presenting difficult cases. Here the harm is inflicted not by the government, but by a private person. And it's usually inflicted not because of a political opinion or for religious reasons, but rather as an assertion of what a man believes he is entitled to do to an intimate partner. After years of debate and litigation, the Board of Immigration Appeals, that's the administrative body in the Department of Justice that's charged with reviewing decisions by immigration judges, the the BIA ruled that women who are victims of domestic violence can state a valid claim for asylum if they can show that they have suffered serious harm and that the state or the local police are unable or unwilling to protect them. Then came the Trump administration. In a wide-ranging and frankly devastating opinion, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions overturned the BIA case. As attorney general, he's authorized to review decisions of the board. The case is called Matter of AB. These are the initials of the woman who applied for asylum. And we will refer to her as Ms. AB today. Most recently, the president issued a proclamation which has been implemented by new Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security regulations that automatically deny asylum to persons who enter the United States illegally by crossing the border between authorized ports of entry. With these two actions, the Trump administration has dramatically cut back on protection for women fleeing domestic violence. To discuss the impact of these measures and to assess the prospects for challenging these decisions in court, we are joined today by Kate Jastrom, senior staff attorney at the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies at the University of California, Hastings College of Law. Kate was previously an asylum officer for the United States government and served as a protection officer with UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency. A word of caution before we begin. The first few minutes of the conversation include graphic descriptions of violence against Ms. A.B. that listeners may find disturbing. Kate, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Alex. Tell us about Ms. A.B. Where did she come from? Why did she leave her country? What did she face in the United States? Sure, I'm happy to tell you more about Ms. A.B. She was born in El Salvador. She's in her late 40s now. 
she had a difficult childhood, lost her parents at a young age, was separated from her siblings, and placed in the care of a family friend who physically and verbally abused her. When she was in her early 20s, Ms. A.B. met the man who would become her husband. After they got married, he began brutalizing her. Over the next 15 years, her husband subjected her to horrific physical, sexual, and emotional violence. He beat and raped her so many times that she lost count. He frequently threatened to kill her, often brandishing a loaded gun or a knife. Ms. A.B.'s husband was violent even during her pregnancies, uh, especially during her pregnancies. On one occasion, he threatened to hang her with a rope from the roof of their house. When they had first met, Ms. A.B. was pursuing her education, but her husband forced her to cut her studies short. He constantly belittled her and demeaned her verbally, treating her like a slave. He often accused her falsely of infidelity, going so far as to ordering her to undress and show him her genitals so he could see if she had been with another man. So her relationship with her husband was characterized by constant brutality, and she often feared for her life. She repeatedly sought protection from the Salvadoran authorities to no avail. She was able to obtain two restraining orders against her husband, but they went completely unenforced, and he continued to abuse and threaten her. After one particularly terrifying incident in which her husband attacked her with a large knife, Ms. A.B. went to the police, and they refused to help, telling her, if you have any dignity, you will get out of here. So actually heeding their advice, Ms. A.B. left her husband and moved to a town that was two hours away. But he managed to find her there, and the abuse continued. She then sought a divorce, which resulted in escalating threats on her life. A month after the divorce was finalized, her ex-husband, accompanied by his brother, who was a police officer, accosted her and told her the divorce meant nothing and that her life was in danger. So following this incident, Ms. A.B.'s ex-husband and the man with whom he associated continued to threaten her, describing in graphic detail how they intended to kill her. One week before she left the country, her ex-husband tracked her down again and physically assaulted her. So with nowhere to turn, Ms. A.B. fled El Salvador in 2014 to seek protection in the United States. What happened in her case here? The immigration judge denied her application for asylum. She took appeal, as she has the right to do, and a three-member panel of the Board of Immigration Appeals unanimously reversed the denial of asylum. So they told the immigration judge to grant her asylum as soon as she cleared the necessary security checks. And, and that grant of asylum was based uh, on, on the credibility of her report that if she were sent back to El Salvador, she would once again be subjected to this horrific harm by her former husband that the Salvadoran government refused to, to do anything to stop. Is that right? That's correct. Based on her credibility, on the severity of the harm and the Unability or unwillingness, inability or unwillingness of the government to protect her. And by being granted asylum, it meant that she could stay in the United States, she could be united with family here, and eventually get a green card uh, and be protected from removal from the United States back to the harm. 
That's correct. The fact that that Ms. A.B. was was granted asylum is a fairly recent development in U.S. asylum law because uh, for many years these kinds of claims where someone alleged uh, harm at the hands of a private individual was not seen as stating a claim and also uh, uh, being an abused woman did not pull you into the various categories of people who can be granted asylum, but through lots of work of, uh, of advocates on behalf of, of women, uh, this law has changed over the last decade or so in the U.S. Can, can you say a few words about how that's changed in the work that the advocates undertook? Sure. The question of gender asylum, which is another way of saying whether and under what circumstances women are eligible for asylum. And the question of survivors of domestic violence in particular has been a controversial question for at least the last 20 years. However, it's been debated, it's been litigated, it's been thought through and fought over during both Republican and Democratic administrations. And I want to point out this is not just a legal question in the U.S. It's universal. Other countries are grappling with the same question. So on the legal level, women's claims to asylum have often been made to rise and fall on the interpretation of the most complex phrase in the refugee definition. So the Refugee Convention, which is the basis for our Refugee Act of 1980 in U.S. law, doesn't provide protection against any kind of harm or human rights abuse. Just those kinds of harm, which is inflicted because of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a social group. And so though many women's claims can be analyzed under religion or political opinion, many more get shunted under this category of membership in a particular social group. So what you're saying here is that in order to establish asylum, it's not just enough to show harm. You have to show that the harm is based on a particular reason that the persecutor is trying to overcome. And so gender is not listed, but it might be that, that gender claims could come under this broader category of membership in a social group if gender is considered a social group under the law. That's the issue, right? Yes, but it could also be the case that a woman might get asylum based on her political opinion. Right. You know, if she's part of the resistance in her country, then that could be a political opinion claim. Or maybe her political opinion is that she's a feminist and she doesn't think that she needs to um, tolerate an abusive husband. That could be a political opinion claim. But in the example, in the situation of domestic violence survivors, our courts have tended not to see these as political opinion claims or religion claims, but as social group claims, which again is the most complex and difficult to understand part of U.S. asylum law. So Ms. A.B. had, had won at the Board of Immigration Appeals. They viewed her claim based on the horrific domestic violence that she experienced as coming within a claim of being a member of a social group of, of abused women unable to get out of a relationship in El Salvador. But what did Attorney General Sessions say in his decision overruling the Board of Immigration Appeals? So what the former Attorney General did 
first of all, on a personal level, he took away her asylum. So a unanimous three-member panel of the Board of Immigration Appeals had granted asylum to Ms. A.B., and the Attorney General said, not so fast. I don't think she qualifies for asylum. And then he used her case to cast a great deal of doubt on this category of domestic survivors getting asylum. So he's made it much harder for these kinds of claims to to, to, to be granted now, is that right? He has made it much harder. He has made it nearly impossible for women fleeing domestic violence to find protection in the United States. So this is a, a strange thing. Let's think about this. We have cases of people like Ms. A.B. severely, severely harmed in domestic relationships, and their government won't protect them. So they've come to the United States for safety. Why would the Attorney General, why would the Department of Justice not want to protect these people? What, what do you think is going on in the Department of Justice decisions here? I think it's part of not only an anti-immigrant sentiment, but an anti-woman sentiment. I think it's no accident that these cases uh, are, by and large, going to harm women who are coming to this country seeking protection, and particularly women who are claiming to have been subject of domestic violence or other sexual abuse. It just fits in, unfortunately, too neatly with a lot of the narratives of this administration. Uh, Kate, you mentioned uh, the southwest border and your your view that the Sessions opinion was a way to really stop, help stop this flow of people across the southwest border. Uh, of course, it would then be part and parcel with a presidential proclamation issued just uh, uh, a few weeks ago, um, which attempted to stop people from coming in between places where they're allowed to enter through our so-called ports of entry, uh, and then followed by a regulation when into immediate effect by by the Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security, that said anybody who tries to enter in between these uh, ports of entry and is arrested, uh, apprehended, uh, will be automatically denied uh, asylum, and that what they should do is go to a port of entry and ask for asylum. So this really, not only do we have a situation here now where uh, Sessions has said these are going to be very hard claims uh, to prove, uh, but it sounds now like you won't even be able to raise these claims at all um, if you assert them uh, after illegal entry. Uh, can you can you say some words about that? It's a multifaceted assault on asylum seekers at the border. You know, we saw family separation over the summer. We saw matter of AB, which again purports to shut off the legal possibilities for people for the most common kinds of asylum claims that we hear on the southern border. Uh, now we have this information that people are going to have to go to a designated port of entry to make the claim for asylum in the first place. This is illegal under U.S. law. We have a Refugee Act of 1980 that specifically says wherever you are in the United States, you can apply for asylum. So how it is that they think that they can um, 
fly right in the face of that and have this superseding law telling people that they have to go to a port of entry is a question that obviously is going to be sorted out in court. So one of the answers from the administration might be, look, we had lots of people entering between ports of entry. They asked for asylum. Uh, they got put in court proceedings that'll take four or five years to resolve because the courts are so backlogged. Meanwhile, we they're not going to be detained because of other court orders. And only a small percentage of these people are granted asylum. So much better if they uh, wait in Mexico for an orderly uh, uh, process. And so that's what the administration is trying to do here is simply say to people, don't even think about entering between ports of entry. You're not going to be able to get in. Go to a port of entry, take a number, wait until your asylum case is heard. And in fact, in recent days, apparently um, about 50 or 60 um, LGBT claimants, people claiming persecution uh, based on their sexual orientation, have arrived at the northern border and will present themselves to U.S. authorities uh, at the, the port of entry and come in in an orderly way and apply for asylum. If that's what the administration is trying to uh, accomplish here, is that a, a reasonable set of policy goals? Um, no, it's not, and for a couple of reasons. First of all, again, it's illegal under federal immigration law to tell asylum seekers you can only apply in certain places. The practical problem, because they're entitled to apply wherever they are in the United States. The practical problem of telling people to essentially wait in line at a port of entry is that it can be very dangerous. First of all, there's not accommodation for them, right? It's not like there's hostels or even tents or any kind of accommodation for people to stay. And remember, these are a lot of families with kids. There's not food set up. There's certainly not, you know, there are ad hoc volunteer efforts, but there is not any kind of organized reception facilities for, you know, a few thousand people, which is all we're talking about, but person by person, each person has their needs. So waiting in line at a port of entry is not safe, it's not practical, and it leaves people vulnerable. The people standing in that line are very obviously asylum seekers in the United States. If they have any money, they're carrying it with them. Uh, if they have anything precious to them, they're carrying it with them. They are easily targetable by uh, criminal elements in Mexico along the border, sometimes in some cases by Mexican border authorities. It's it's a complete abdication of responsibility on the part of the U.S. to just say, oh, we can only process a few at a time, let the Mexicans deal with it. Well, it just seems like we really need to change the discourse here, because rather than seeing these people as a threat to U.S. sovereignty, we we obviously need to view people like Ms. A.B. as people in need of uh, protection against uh, terrible violence and figure out an orderly way to, to help these people escape the horrors that they've been living with. And yet we seem to have painted this just the opposite. These are people coming to this country to do harm rather than people fleeing harm. We have painted it that way, and I hope that now that the um, election is 
receding. Some of that rhetoric can also recede, and we can try to take a more practical approach to dealing, you know, to dealing with the, the numbers are not great, even if the entire caravan got here tomorrow. You know, the numbers are nothing that the U.S. can't handle. Okay, what happens next with Ms. A.B.? What happens next with Ms. A.B. was uh, that the immigration judge, or what did happen, sorry, let me say, what did happen with Ms. A.B.'s case was that the immigration judge, uh, when the case was handed back down to him, refused to recuse himself, refused to give her an evidentiary hearing, and said that as a matter of law, she was not eligible for asylum based on the matter of AB decision that the former attorney general came down with. So we have now appealed this to the Board of Immigration Appeals, both the judge's failure to recuse himself for his bias and his prejudgment and the substantive denial of her claim without even giving her the opportunity for a hearing on her claim. And ultimately, you can go to federal court to challenge uh, those decisions and also the Sessions uh, decision? Correct. Correct. Yeah. She's in the Fourth Circuit, so eventually, once the board is um, gives us another decision, then we'll be in the Fourth Circuit. Is she currently living in safety? Yes. So at least that's something. Maybe maybe a little bit of good has been been done here through through your efforts, the efforts of other uh, lawyers. But um, uh, there may be many many other people who will not have that benefit because of the new rules and the new procedures at the border. And they, there's a lot of fear. Even the people who are here safely for the time being, there's a lot of fear of the unknown and fear about whether they're going to be able to bring their children over with them. Kate, thanks so much for taking us through this uh, process and for telling us the story of, uh, of Ms. A.B. Thank you, Alex. I, I appreciate you looking at asylum as a gender issue. Since our conversation with Kate Jastrom, there have been two developments worth taking note of. First, a lower federal court has enjoined the new Trump administration policy of automatically denying asylum to people who ask for asylum if they've entered between ports of entry. Uh, the federal court ruled that the presidential order was in flat contradiction of a federal statute that says people can apply anywhere in the United States. Secondly, it's been reported that the Trump administration is in negotiations with Mexico to implement what the president calls a remain in Mexico policy that would permit asylum seekers to stay in Mexico while waiting for a chance to apply for asylum in the United States. We will keep you up to date on these and other developments in future podcasts. You have been listening to Tempest Tossed, a production of the Zolberg Institute on Migration and Mobility at the New School. Technical assistance is provided by Sahil Ansari at Dodge 112. Our themes were composed by Eli Elenikov. We would welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. You can reach us at tossedtempest at gmail.com. That is tossedtempest, all one word, at gmail.com.